Good morning, everybody. Allow me to read to you from Exodus 14, verses 10 to 18. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out out of Egypt? Is not this what you said to us in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only have to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them, and I will get the glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots, and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Thank you. Am I on? One, two. One, two, there I'm coming, there I'm coming. Thank you so much, Steph, for reading that. Thank you, Jeff, for that amazing intro. Uh, My name is Garth. I am from the PM meeting, all the way from the PM meeting. I've been there for 10 years. Last time I was with you, I kept saying this evening, good evening, and Ian kept looking at me like this, you're in the morning meeting. But this is where the vibe is. I've realized this is where the vibe is. And the reason that I can say that is because everyone coming this evening, all those students are still sleeping at the moment, so I can say that on the video right now, but really this is where the vibe is. Sorry, my, my voice is a little bit hoarse. I'd love to say it's because of the worship and singing and how loud I sing is, but it's because I was screaming at the TV yesterday morning. And um, my, my wife, Sam, I'm, I'm married to Sam, we have a little daughter, Katie, came in with Katie and said, what's wrong? I said, no, nothing, it's just a penalty. And I was screaming at the TV from there. So I'm going to need about three liters of water today. But um, as Jeff said, uh, my name is Garth, and uh, as a community, we've been going through the book of Exodus, and boy, has it been an adventure so far. And although it takes place over a couple of years, it can feel like a roller coaster ride as you're reading through the book. It's no wonder that Disney decided to make a movie about it in The Prince of, of Egypt. And uh, it's just such a rich book. There's so much that we see about God. There's so much that we see about his character, his people, the Christian story. And so just to, to locate ourselves and just to summarize a little bit, when we looked at week one, we saw the Israelites, a slave to Egyptian people, and our story begins with uh, Moses, a Hebrew boy that's adopted as this Egyptian prince. And, uh, and when he's older, he, he murders this Egyptian that's treating this Hebrew man badly. And uh, he feels condemned, so he runs out to the wilderness to this place called Midian, where he had settled down, he would marry, and he'd be there for 40 years. 
And then the scripture says that God hears the cries of his people enslaved in Egypt. And so he speaks to Moses through this burning bush. And we see we've got that picture of this burning bush. And he calls Moses to be this mediator, this representative to free God's people from slavery that God would use. But he's super hesitant. He says, you got the wrong guy. He says, I'm not eloquent in speech. He says, no, don't worry about that. We're going to send your brother Aaron with you. God is gracious with him. And so they bring this message to, to Pharaoh on behalf of God. Let my people go. Let my people go. Anyone that's watched the Prince of Egypt, you are going to have that song in your head for the rest of the day. Let my people go. It's a pleasure. <laughs> and then we see God uses these 10 plagues. He brings about judgment on Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And we learned in our message about two weeks ago that it is good to serve a righteous God who judges evil righteously, a God of justice, that we as Christ followers can take heart in that, that God doesn't wink at sin, but we know that he will have the final say one day. And then through these plagues, we see Pharaoh's heart harden more. He just won't let the Israelites go. And then last week, we saw the final plague being the, of the firstborn of the sons of of Egypt. And we heard this amazing message on how God makes way for the Israelites' firstborn to be spared by the blood of the spotless lamb, which be the, the substitute, the pardon from God's wrath and death, this being called Passover. In the same way as Christ follows, we know that Jesus is the substitute that is offered for us. He takes our sins, he conquers death, so that we might have eternal life with him. And also last week in the middle of, of chapter 12, we see God says, he says, remember this. He says, remember this. He, he institutes Passover, the feast of the unleavened bread. And what he basically says, he says, I know your human condition. It won't be long before you're going to forget what happened here. And he says, do this to remember my faithfulness of what I have done. And last week we got to do communion together. Maybe some of us got to do some communion in life groups or with our life group. And in a similar way, that's something where Jesus asks us to do in remembrance of his loving faithfulness to us on the cross where he became our substitute. And the, and the Christian story, the Christian story is basically one of how human sinfulness separates us from God and in his mercy, in his grace, he rescues his people and reconciles them to himself. That's the Christian story. In the book of Exodus, it's essentially the short story narrative of this. And today we're going to look halfway through chapter 12 and uh, the, to the end of 14, and we're going to zoom in on how God is a faithful leader and how he rescues the Israelites. And today we're going to see two things from these chapters. There's just two things that I want us to appreciate today. And the first is that, that God is our faithful guide. God is our faithful guide and that our God is mighty to save. Our God is mighty to save. And so I'm going to share the story uh, over these chapters. We can't read all of it. And as I unpack, I'm going to zoom in on some verses along the way. Let's pray first. Lord, thank you that we get to <clears throat> be together this evening. Thank you that we get to receive uh, this morning, this morning, that we get to be together this morning. Thank you that uh, we get to hear from you. I pray that you would speak to us uh, through your word this morning. Thank you where there wasn't a way, Lord, that you would make away. Thank you that you are our faithful God and that we can trust you with everything we have in your mighty name. Amen. <clears throat> and so 
In chapter 12, we're halfway through chapter 12, we see it is time. It is time. We know Exodus, the word Exodus, it means exit. Well, this is time for the exit. The freedom is soon upon the Israelites. The Egyptians are now done with the Israelites. Pharaoh has given the order to say that the Israelites can be free, and in, in fact, the Egyptians are pleading with them to leave. No more plagues, no more of this, you can go. And, and God gives them, them favor, and as they leave, they're able to take jewelry, gold, resources from the Egyptians. So we see it's not just freedom, but there's this aspect of also blessing that they're able to take from them as well. And then it gets even more interesting in uh, verse 37 and 38. It says this. It says, The people of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Sukkot, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and a very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And it's amazing. A mixed multitude of people would go with them. In other words, not just Israelites leaving, but there were others that weren't Israelites that would also join them. And this is a powerful statement because obviously these events have revealed that Yahweh is the one true living God. And this leads other people wanting to be part of this freedom that lies ahead. They want to follow Yahweh, their mighty God, above other gods as he's revealed himself, which also just emphasizes that the people of Israel weren't, weren't special in and of themselves, but rather it's that God is who he says he is. God is who he says he is. The Israelites weren't a unique, powerful people. They were a chosen people. They were a chosen people by a powerful God. And what we see next is God leads the Israelites around the, the wilderness. They basically take the, the long way around, and he's gracious with them because he knows if they go past the Philistine camp, then they're going to see war, and they're going to want to run back to Egypt. And it's fascinating to see how God chooses to presence himself and then lead them. We see in, in chapter 13, uh, verse 21, it says, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night did not depart from the people. And now we've got to know that Israelites have not had the presence of God in this way. So this is a powerful moment for God to manifest his physical presence in this way. Be with the Israelites day and night. And he would do two things. He would, he would lead them. And later we're going to see that he'd also, he would, he would protect them. And sometimes, uh, we can take this for granted, but if you call yourself a Christ follower, we have the presence of God available to us. There's this beautiful promise that God makes when he says he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. His guidance, his direction is made available to us. And we, and we don't need pillars of cloud or pillars of fire. We have his word. We have his Holy Spirit. And the scripture says, your word is a lamp unto my feet. God speaks to us through his word, through his truth. His very presence is available to us in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our guide and our security. Ephesians, it tells us that the Holy Spirit is is like a down payment. It's like a a deposit for eternity to come. There's this security in this. And I think of the Holy Spirit being a guy before Jesus goes in the wilderness. It says the Spirit led him into 
the wilderness. In Acts, we see the apostles often say they were led by the Spirit to go to one place or not to go to another place. It seemed good to them and the Holy Spirit to make certain decisions. And it's not only that God is the guide, but it's also that we can trust Him. It's that we can trust Him. And if you think about our current day GPS system on our phones, I mean, it makes it so easy to find a place nowadays. I mean, there was a day, there was a day when we had maps, and you had to find a map, and you had to look where you were going. Then you had to ask people for directions, if you had the humility to, on the way to where you were going, to find it. And it was like, it was like the um, amazing adventure race that you got there. And then when you found it, you were kind of like very soaked with yourself as you walked up, because you had eventually found the place. Um, and so nowadays, when we get to put it in, we get to just trust that that's the location. I don't need to double-check the route. I just know that when I put it in, whatever roadblock or traffic might come, my destination is inevitable. And I'll get there. I'll get there. And as Christ follows, how much more should we trust the Lord in His guidance of our lives? And there's a question for us. Is, is Jesus the ultimate faithful guide of our lives? Is Jesus the ultimate faithful guide of our lives. Are we guided by him? Because he not only knows the way, scripture says he is the way. And if I'm, if I'm honest, the reason I can press start on my GPS system is not because, I, I, um, it's not because I'm, I'm trusting the, just the route. In the same way, I don't look at God's plan and think, okay, I can trust the plan here, I can trust the plan there. No, I trust the GPS system and I can just press start. In the same way, we can trust the God who has the big picture. He promises never to leave us or forsake us. He will get us to where he's going within his timing, within his planning. It's not for us to wrestle the root. It's for us to trust the God who has the big picture. And this can feel uncomfortable sometimes. Sometimes following God doesn't make sense. Sometimes for us, it could, it could feel like it grates against us. A good illustration that I had or thought about um, a couple of years back, I was processing this. I was thinking of uh, a time in my life where I was making decisions, things like that. I was thinking of trusting God and thinking about how His way and trusting Him fully can grate against us. And the picture that I had was it's almost like I got in my car and I wanted to drive to um, Johannesburg. And I was thinking, the quickest way, I'm going to get on the N1 and you just hold fast for like 16 hours. That's it. And you go. A couple of uh, bacon and egg rolls along the way, but that's about it. And you go. And suddenly what happened is it was as if God said, okay, well, go, go along the N2. Go along the N2. And I'm going, listen, if we go along the N2, there's two major highways here. The one goes to Johannesburg. The other one, I'm going to end up in Durban, Richardsburg. I'm going that way. And he says, no, trust me, go along the N2. And so turn away. And all the way I'm driving along the N2, I'm thinking, this is going to be either a very long way or something's going to happen here. And not 10 minutes into it, it's almost as if God says, okay, take a left here. And what's left? That's the airport. What I want you to do. Now get on a plane, and you can fly to Joburg from there. And now what I'm not saying is, is that if you trust God, it's going to be easy, seamless. It'll only take two hours to get to Johannesburg. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm just trying to illustrate here, and what God was showing me at the time, he's saying, following God sometimes doesn't make sense. Sometimes it's not comfortable, but it requires faith in him. Trust him who has the big picture. Trust him who has the big picture. See, God's wisdom, his ways, his very presence 
is not made of this world. It's another kingdom. But we can trust his guidance because of who he says he is. Because of who he says he is. Where God says, wait, I can patiently wait trusting him. When he says, don't go, I cannot go knowing that it is really for my good. When he says, follow me, oh, I can go all in. I can go all in because of who he says he is. And maybe there's some of us here, maybe we're still exploring the claims of Christ. Maybe you're watching from home, you're still exploring the, the claims of Christ. And uh, maybe there's a lot that doesn't make sense to you right now in your life. But maybe there's something in you that just, you know that Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way. You've been listening to some of the sermons. You've been exploring. Maybe you've been reading scripture and you're going, actually, I see some of this. But possibly everything in your life might be saying it's not a great idea. You don't know how it's going to all work out. You don't know if friends or family are going to understand. You're thinking, my life is probably going to change. And I don't know if I'm, ready, if I'm ready for this. And I'd say trust in him who has the big picture. Trust in him that will never leave you, that will never forsake you. And yes, it might be uncomfortable, but he'll be with you every step of the way. He is our ultimate guide. And, and for those of us that call ourselves Christ follower, God has given us his spirit, his word, his truth. He's given us a whole lot of godly common sense as well. And there are things in our lives maybe that might not be the way of Jesus. Or maybe where God's not leading us into something. And when we find these kind of Holy Spirit fork in the road moments, can I encourage us also to put our faith in the ultimate God? Especially at times where it might feel uncomfortable, trust Him, seek Him in His Word, in prayer, trusting Him along the way and His way. And so on with our journey, we see next that God's telling Moses to get the Israelites to, to camp next to the Red Sea. And he tells Moses that he's going to harden the Egyptians' heart and they're going to come after them. But God says, well, I'm going I'm to deal with them and I'm going to get all the glory over Pharaoh and his army. And so we see a, a God who is passionate about his glory. He wants them to know, again, that he is the one true living God, Yahweh. So Moses leads the people towards the Red Sea. They camp out. And uh, now they would kind of be closed between the wilderness and the Red Sea. And uh, what God says begins to happen. Pharaoh, the Egyptians, and his army takes everything, all his whole inventory out of Egypt. And because uh, they have this bit of divine amnesia, and they realize that they've lost their whole work, working force. And God would harden their heart once again. So they would chase after the Israelites to get them. And uh, I just want to read our scriptures again. It says, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes. Behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. And they feared greatly. The people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said, Moses, it's because, uh, they said to Moses, it's because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness. What have you done to us bringing us out to Egypt? It's not, is it not what we said in Egypt? Leave us alone that we might serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, fear not. Stand firm. See that salvation of the Lord, which will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. And the Lord said to Moses, 
Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff. Stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the people of Israel may go through the sea in dry ground. I'll harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they shall go after them. I'll get the glory over Pharaoh and his host, his chariots, his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And I've gotten glory over Pharaoh and his chariots and his horsemen. And so what we see here is that the people of God have this promise of a deliverance. All of a sudden, things are not making sense. Things are not making sense. They're stuck in a cul-de-sac, and they have the armies of Pharaoh after them. And what we see is is that they fear greatly. He says that they fear greatly, and in their fear, they lose trust in God and his promise to deliver them. And in that fear, they can only conclude one thing. This must have been a trap. Moses has led us here to die. And it's usually at this point, um, well, they actually say it at this point where they say, are there not enough graves in Egypt? Was this all a scheme to get us out here? Man, bondage would have been better than dying in the wilderness. They start thinking back to Egypt. And when we look at the story of the crossing of the Red Sea, we see this is One event is the final act in God delivering his people from slavery in Egypt. This is one of the single greatest acts of salvation in the Old Testament. And it's continually recalled through Scripture to to represent and remind the Israelites of God's saving power. And so I I just want to explore three questions when we look at this. And uh, that's what are they saved from, how are they saved, and how does this apply to us? And what are they saved from? Bondage. From bondage. For us, this would represent sin. And see, what God did through Moses was provide this physical salvation from physical slavery. And we see the correlation for us in what God does through Christ in providing spiritual salvation from spiritual slavery. And like the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, spiritually we were slaves to sin. And Jesus says to the Pharisees in John 8, He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is slave to sin. So if the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And it's not long after the Israelites have been set free from bondage that they lose trust and they're wanting to go back to slavery. I mean, they've just been set free and they're looking back to bondage as the better circumstance, as the solution to the newfound freedom. And what we see is that objectively they've been set free, but subjectively they're still in that slave mindset. And although we might be afforded freedom in Christ, we too can find ourselves going back to the very things that once enslaved us. See, for those who believe in Jesus, the truth is, we've been positionally, we've been set free from the penalty of sin, but we can still struggle with sin this side of heaven until we get to heaven where there'll be no sin, where there'll be no sin. Romans 6 says this, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Uh, Tim Keller, a famous preacher and uh, theologian, he, uh, speaking about this, he sets out three ways we can struggle this side of heaven where we live like slaves, although we've been spiritually set free. And, and the one way is we can fall back into slavishness of sin, the slavishness of sin. The truth is we can struggle with wanting to go back to the old life of bondage, and we can fall back into sinful practices. 
And I often think this is the case for us because we don't believe, or we're struggling to believe that we have been set free. Or we struggle to believe that actually following Jesus in a certain way will, will, will lead to freedom in our lives. And sometimes we also don't believe that God has the power to change us. We don't believe that God has the power to change us. Some of us can find ourselves fighting for a freedom that we already have in Christ. We've got to believe that we've been set free, that God has the power to change us, and that all that we could bring to the table is obedience rooted in faith in a God who's mighty to save. What happens in this freedom is we end up becoming who we already are in Christ. We end up becoming who we already are in Christ. Secondly, we can go the other way. We could, it could go to works righteousness, where we depend on our own works, where we think that we have what it takes to set ourselves free. It could be like the Egyptians saying, well, we worked really hard and diligently. It's no wonder that God took us out of Egypt. <clears throat> And God would set them free just because of maybe what they've done or what they've achieved. And I think we often struggle with this because <clears throat> we don't believe that someone else could do it on our behalf, this free gift of grace. The world tells us that there's no such thing as a free lunch, and so we start believing that. It also means that we can't control our salvation. We can't control our salvation. We don't get any glory. But one of the beautiful things about following Jesus One of the most freeing aspects is that he weans us off our self-glorification. It is a blessing to us. The other thing that we can deal with is the temptations of idolatry in our hearts. Our hearts are continually wanting to make creation ultimate over the creator. It's where our hearts take good things, we make them ultimate things, and they become, therefore, sinful things. And it's, it is this default setting that needs recalibration of God's truth that positions our hearts in their rightful place before God so that we can worship creator within creation. Now, the second question is, how does God save him? Well, we see that it's by grace alone. We see that it's by grace alone. Even though the Israelites are fearful, mistrusting, we see a God that is mighty to save. In verse 13 and 14, we see Moses tell the Israelites, he says, Fear not, stand firm, see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. And what we see is that salvation is not about what we do, but rather about what God has done for us. In Jesus, we cannot deliver ourselves out of slavery. The only way we get out of slavery is by God's grace alone. Goth cannot save Goth. Goth needs Jesus. Goth needs Jesus. You see, because the Israelites, because of their mistrust, because they were thinking within this physical realm, they're thinking they only have two options. Either we fight and die at the hands of Pharaoh and his army, or we go back to slavery. We try and make it work. But actually, there's another way that doesn't have anything to do with them, but has everything to do with God. And that is trust in God that he would make a way where there is no way, that he would fight on their behalf and be faithful to fulfill his promises. 
And that's what God does. We see him, he moves the cloud to the back behind the Israelites to stop Pharaoh's army. And he calls Moses to lift up his staff. And he um, divides the Red Sea. And the Israelites get to walk in. It says, with walls on their right and walls on their left, walls of water on their right and on their left. And it's easy for us to also think that, man, they must have just been relieved and so confident. Oh, some walls of water up here. Perfect. A little way through. Not at all. You probably find that they were terrified still, that they're trying to manage their faith as they step forward in faith. They're trying to manage their fears. They step forward in faith with these massive walls of water. And what we see is, is that it's, the, it's not the quality of their faith that allows them to be rescued. It's the object of their faith. It's the object of their faith that rescued them, which is God, which is a God who is mighty to save. What we see next is Pharaoh and his army, they won't let up. They won't let up. Their heart is hardened. They are not changing. And so they pursue the Israelites as they try to uh, cross the Red Sea. And as they pursue them, as they try and get onto that dry ground, God causes Moses to, calls Moses to lift up his staff to close the sea on Pharaoh and his army. You see, the Red Sea here yeah, is seen as the symbol of God's final wrath and judgment. And what, as we've seen, God brings judgment on the Egyptians through the plagues. And in fact, uh, some commentators would clo- uh, call this closing of the Red Sea the, the 11th and final plague in a way. And it represents this, the wrath and death that God's judgment would bring on unrepented, hardened hearts that they would come to face. And, and God would give warnings. He gives plagues to, Pharaohs, uh, to Pharaoh and would see his heart would still be hardened. He would still want to chase after them. He wouldn't give up. And this would lead to their death, to their demise. But Israel would get to pass through these waters. Israel would get to pass through these waters. Instead of God's wrath and death, they get favor, they get freedom, they get new life on that side of the sea. And where there seemed like there was no way, God would make a way. His undeserved grace by his redemptive power. God could have sent them down the same path with all their whinging, their whining, their unbelief. But God is gracious and faithful to his promises. He cannot deny himself. There's also this one advantage, which is that Israel had a mediator appointed by God in Moses. They had a mediator appointed by God in Moses. Moses was the man in the middle, the man in the middle, who could identify with the Israelites, but also be their representative before God, because he's been appointed by God. And we see in the rest of Exodus that, man, he's got his work cut out for him as he does his best to reconcile this relationship between God and his people. And just as Israelites have Moses, as Christ follows, we have even a better mediator in Jesus. We have even a better mediator in Jesus. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God, one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. You see, Jesus, through his finished work on the cross, has made a way for us to be reconciled to God once and for all. Once and for all. And we we see in the last two verses of chapter 14, it says this, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, 
And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Our God is mighty to save. He triumphs over evil, sin, and death. He sets the captives free. And the Israelites go from fearing death, fearing Egyptians, to fearing the Lord, to believing in the Lord. And what happens when the Israelites make it through the Red Sea? What do they do? They burst into song of praise. Why? Because they're overwhelmed at the miracle that God has just done. They're overwhelmed at the mighty saving work of God, his grace. And next week, Paul Morn's going to be with us, and he's going to share a bit about the song. It's called The Song of the Sea, so we can look forward to that. But just to finish, as Christ follows, we too should also celebrate our loving, gracious God who's mighty to save. It's by his grace alone, through faith alone, Christ alone. This means that we can't earn it. We can't earn it because it's God's free gift to us. It also means that there's no bondage in sin that Jesus has not dealt with, that he has not overcome on our behalf. He has won the battle for us. He has fought for us. All we need to do is believe it. All we need to do is believe it. We don't need to fear anything else. We can fear the Lord. We can put our imperfect faith in Jesus. He will be our ultimate guide. He will be our ultimate faithful guide. I'm going to call the band up quickly. We're going to have a moment just to respond. I'd love to pray for us. I'm going to ask us to stand together. Just with our eyes closed, I'd love to make an opportunity for some people that have been maybe coming for a while, maybe this is your first time, maybe you're watching at home right now, you've been exploring the claims of Christ, you've heard maybe some sermons, you've heard this message today, and there's something in your heart that's saying, I believe this. I believe this. I believe that Christ is who he says he is. And that he did die for me on the cross and that his finished work has set me free. And if that's you, I would love to just lead you in a prayer. Lead you in a prayer. And if you want to say yes to following Jesus as your your ultimate guide, I'd love to just lead you through a prayer. You can repeat after me. Lord, I want you to be my ultimate God. Lord, I thank you for your finished work on the cross. I know that I can't cut it. I know that I need you. I know that this is undeserved, but I thank you for your grace. Thank you for setting me free. Thank you that I have relationship with you. 
because you have made a way. Lord, I want to pray for those of us that um, in our imperfect faith would come before you, Lord, and know that we can trust you as our ultimate guide in all circumstances. Lord, where there are people that are waiting on things, where there are people that might be confused, where there are some of us that um, are making big decisions. I pray, Lord, that we would look to you, that we would trust you, that you would be our ultimate guide, that we would look to your ways, Lord, that we would look to you. Increase our faith, we pray, Lord, to trust you wholeheartedly. Lord, we praise you. We thank you for your grace, undeserved. We thank you that you made a way where there was no way. Let's sing together.